Well, good morning. I'll tell you again, we're so glad that you're here. We are in week two of our marriage series called To Have and To Hold. Uh, last week, we talked about the, finding, the importance of finding your why in marriage. Why are you married? And we discussed pretty clearly that the purpose of our marriage, why we are married, is to be unified as one, as a representation of Christ in the church. Today, we are going to be talking about one of the tools, the many tools that helps us reach that unity, conversation, communication. I have titled today, Talk and Tussle, and this is part one because we'll be talking about the same thing next week because it's that big of a deal and there's a lot to say. Now, communication and conflict. Uh, One needs to happen in a relationship. That's communication. The other is a necessary evil that will happen whether you like it or not. Uh, That's conflict. Now, Jarek and I did a bit of marriage counseling before we got married, and one of the best gifts that we were given through that process was that we were taught how to fight, okay? Notice I didn't say how to avoid fighting or how not to fight because fighting is an important part of any relationship, okay? So we learned how to fight, how to fight fair. Uh, We want to do conflict well. I want you to be able to tell your friends that my wife and I fight really good, okay? We fight, but when we do it, we do a really good job. Um, And so conflict done the right way is a positive tool for our marriage, okay? Because healthy conflict helps us grow, It moves us forward into the future, and it also unites us. And we'll start there. Conflict unites us by giving us a common enemy. Now, we can all relate to this in some form or fashion. I know if you know me, you know I relate most things to sports because that's just how my brain works. I'm a huge Cardinals fan uh, because that's godly. Uh, The Cardinals season, like all the other seasons, are getting ready to start. Uh, Our biggest rivalry, if you don't know this, is the Chicago Cubs. Pray for... Yeah. Pray for Grant that he sees the error of his ways. He dealt with a kidney stone this week, and I'm pretty sure it's directly connected. Okay? So, just kidding. But uh, all I got to say about that is, okay, so, so there's this natural conflict that happens between Cardinals and Cubs fans. Now, there is a certain amount of respect to the rivalry, and it's become a bit chippier in the last few years because the Cubs are finally worth a darn as far as the competitive scale goes. Um, But we can unite about one thing. Grant and I, for instance, are on opposite ends of the fandom. I am a diehard Cardinals fan. He is a diehard Cubs fan. But we can unite over one thing, a common enemy, the Milwaukee Brewers. We both can state that their fans and their team is the absolute worst. Now, maybe sports doesn't work for you, but you have had this happen to you in some other relationship. One of the other things that pops up is at work. And I won't ask for any hands. I won't ask you to nod in agreement. But you ever united with somebody become really close friends with a coworker because you both didn't like the same person? Yeah, a couple giggles there. A couple giggles there. You gave yourself away, right? You find that one person you don't like. Maybe you guys weren't that close to begin with, but there's just that one person and somebody lets it slip. I just can't stand him. And all of a sudden you see or hear like the chair roll over right next to you. You're like, you can't either? No. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Right? And then it's like party time because you have this common enemy. Well, conflict, if done the right way, can give us a common enemy to unite against in our marriage. So whatever that issue is that we're facing, if we can come together, unite against it and fight to overcome it, that spurns on unity. So conflict just for that is a good thing. Now, we need some foundational knowledge uh, before tackling communication. And guys, I'm going to attack you first. Okay, so you're welcome. I bet you're glad you came this morning. I certainly am glad you're here as well. Fellas, we have got to get better at communication. We have got to get better at communication. We have to talk. Now, men, we're narcissists. 
Okay, let's be honest. We like ourselves. Most of the time, we're pretty worried about ourselves and how things are better for us. So I'm a going, I'm a, I'm a going, I just turned Italian. I'm a going to give you a selfish, selfish motivation this morning. Okay, you ready? It will make your life better and easier if you learn how to talk to your spouse. And if you talk to your spouse, somebody, I won't say who, said today, I learned that getting married is about not being able to talk anymore. Wrong, Nathan. Uh, just <laughs> I love you. I'm just kidding. Kaylee, don't hate him. And if you ever listen to this, it's not his fault. Uh, But, right? He's, a lot of us feel that way. We we just feel like, hey, we have to go the way that we're pushed. Okay? And, And that's a natural instinct that guys have. And we do it all wrong. And here's why. As men, we try to bury things. Right? We can just bury it. We can put it in a box and we can put it away and we don't have to deal with it anymore. And so when it comes to conflict, uh, we just try to avoid it at all costs. Like, hey, don't make eye contact and maybe it should go away. But listen, your wife is not a bear, okay? At least not all the time. Your wife is not a bear. I got zero laughs. I am bombing and this is going great, okay? I'm so glad you're all here with me this morning. You can bring out the pitchforks later, right? But if we just avoid eye contact, if we just try to avoid the conflict, then maybe it will go away, and maybe we don't have to talk about it, and maybe we can just push it deep down, and it will just disappear. But that doesn't actually ever happen. Can you imagine the boost that it would give your wife if you not only got credit for paying attention, being observant enough to realize that there was an error, and then two, taking the initiative to try to conquer that issue. If you just came to your wife and said, hey, I kind of feel like there's this tension and I would just like to talk about it. Your wife's whole life would be changed. She'd be like, wait, what did you just say? You want to talk? And yeah, I'd like to talk about it. I noticed that we're having this issue and I would just like to talk about it, get out there on the table and try to overcome it, right? That's major brownie points. Maybe I'm the only one whose wife is like, I wish you would be more observant and take more initiative. Okay, I'll, I'll admit my weaknesses, so can't, sorry. The fact alone that you were observant enough, okay, observant enough to recognize the issue and that you took the initiative should get you major brownie points. So again, one of those things that makes it better for you. But the most important thing is that it helps move us forward towards a resolution and a future growth Okay, which is the ultimate goal of conflict and communication. It's to get past those things in our marriage that are speed bumps, to have them just be speed bumps and not become mountains or giant hills or obstacles that we can't overcome. But that's only going to take place when we communicate. So, men, if you need a selfish motivation, if you need a selfish motivation, not that you do because we're selfless creatures, it will make your life so much easier if you would just learn how to communicate. Let's dive a little further in. Ephesians 5, 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Men, we must learn to love our wives as we love ourselves. We must love, learn to love our wives as we love ourselves. Okay? Think about the words used in this passage. Nurture, cleanse, holy, 
blameless. These are value words. These are value words. Okay, we should be presenting our wife to God in a beautiful light. Our wife needs to be the most important thing to us in the entire world. They should take the place of self. We should love our wives as we love ourselves. I want you to think about how you treat your wife during conflict. Okay, I want you to think about how you treat your wife during conflict as it might pertain to you. Okay, because think about this. We don't ever degrade ourselves, right? I'm talking to men here. We don't ever degrade ourselves. We always think that our opinions are pretty solid and something that we can stand on. We're pretty proud of them most of the time. We don't see ourselves as overreacting. We don't call ourselves crazy. Okay? We aren't emotional in our own minds. You ever said those things to your wife? Oh, you are just crazy. You are overreacting right now. You are being so emotional. We don't ever see ourselves that way. We don't ever see ourselves that way. So why do we project that onto our wives? Do you ever do that? Do you ever do that? You want me to admit something again? I've done it. I know that a trigger word for Jerrica is crazy. She'd probably punch me in the face right now because she's crazy. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. See? See? But listen, I know that if we're fighting and I'm losing, like I'm back against the ropes and losing, and like that's the goal. And I feel like I'm losing right and it's going bad for me and I can just break out the crazy word and she will actually show me what crazy is. You want to see crazy? No, I don't really. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Right? But we project these negative things on our wives and, and try to negate their points and, and negate their point of view and negate the struggles that they have in their relationship with us because, oh, they're just overreacting and they're just being emotional and we don't want to have to deal with it. But we would never do that to ourselves. When we have an issue, it's a legitimate issue. When we have an issue, it's a real problem. We need to tackle this problem, right? And it's not, it's not our fault when we have an issue. It's your fault. Wives, you did it. But when a wife has a legitimate grievance with us, do we pay attention to that? Do we listen to that with open ears? Or do we try to wash it away by projecting these misguided ideas on them? Don't do this, okay? That's my best advice. Don't do it. Don't project these things onto your wife. Now, there's a greater degree, and I'm going to mention it briefly, and hey, I hope that this is not an issue for anybody in this church, but there's a greater degree that the church is way too silent on that I'm going to bring up because it goes hand in hand, and that's emotional abuse, okay? That's emotional abuse. Now, can women be emotionally abusive? Certainly, okay? The majority of the time, just statistically, we know that it's men, okay? We know that it's men. If you go through life and your job, you feel like, at least partially, is to tear your wife down to degrade her, to make her always feel like she's wrong, to make her feel like she's less than you, to make her feel like she's subservient, it's disgusting and you need to stop it. It's gross. Don't be that guy because you're not a man, you're a little boy, okay? I don't know that that's anybody in here. Maybe that's somebody online that needs to hear that. Maybe there's somebody in your life that needs to hear that. But I just want to be clear that as the church, we can have no leeway for emotional abuse whatsoever. We can't sit here and say, well, the man is the head of the wife and blah, 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 and quote all the scriptures misleadingly to try to build up our stance on why we treat our wives so poorly. Can't do it, shouldn't do it, don't do it, okay? Now, I'll move past that. James 3, 2 through 5. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are large 
and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Your words have power. Your words have power. Men, you need to understand that. Your words have power. We need to build our wives up. Okay, we need to build our wives up, not be a force that tears them down. Remember last week we talked about we're supposed to be a positive force in the life of our spouses. Not negative, not equal, a positive force. Okay? And we can do that majorly through our words. Don't use them to tear down or belittle your spouse. Don't ever do that. Rather, build them up and grow together. In 2005, there was a study done by the University of Pennsylvania, and there's been a lot of good studies Bible studies, uh, husband-wife studies, that type of thing that have been built around this study. But in 2005, uh, the university, uh, what did I say? Penn, Pennsylvania, yep, uh, came up with a study, and this is what they discovered. The male brain can literally flatline. We can turn it off. You ever ask your husband what they're thinking about? They tell you nothing? Guess what? They're telling the truth. <laughs> they're telling the truth. Nothing. What are you thinking about? Nothing. You can't be thinking about nothing. No, literally, I was thinking about nothing. Like, I just... When, there's, there's a really good study, I forget his name, he's famous for this study, but he talks about how guys have boxes, right? In our brain, we have boxes, and we have a box. We have a work box, and we have a, a play box, and a hobby box, and a wife box, and a kid box, and, and we go to our different boxes at different times when we need to get those information for whatever, and, and, and we have a nothing box. Like, literally, we can go to, and we can have a time where we think about nothing, and right now, women are thinking to themselves, we hate you. <laughs> because the study also found that women's brains work nothing like that. It's this interconnected highway of neurons and stuff that fires, and they can't do nothing. They can't do nothing. They can't think about nothing. Their brain constantly goes, right? So if my wife calls me an idiot, and I just want to be clear, she doesn't do that very often. But if my wife calls me an idiot, I can literally put it in my forget about it box and never think about it again right? But if I tell my wife, you're an idiot, it gets in that interconnected highway and it just bounces around from place to place. He thinks I'm an idiot. He doesn't think I'm very intelligent. He probably doesn't think I'm a good mom. He probably doesn't think I'm a good, in her case, teacher. He probably doesn't think I'm a good wife. He doesn't think I'm smart enough to do this. He probably doesn't even think I can tie my own shoes. I can tie my own shoes, right? And so, you're down at dinner four weeks later and you're having a great time, conversation, and she goes, do you really think I'm an idiot? You're like, wait, what? When did I say that? June 23rd at 7.23 p.m. <laughs> it was kind of sunny outside and there was a slight breeze. And you're like, oh, wives just can't turn off their brain. Now, if you're a guest today, I, I want to, something I told the first series, I am talking about generalities. I know that not every person is the same. I tend to think women are, and men are, are mostly like this, but maybe you aren't. Maybe you're the guy whose brain goes crazy and maybe you're the girl that's got her boxes. I don't know. Okay. So just so you know, this is all general information, but a woman's brain never shuts off. And that one mean word, it sparks. It's the spark that, that, that can blaze down an entire forest. Okay. An entire forest. Here's the thing too. Okay. And I, I kind of said this, but if you've ever been in conflict with your wife, they don't forget stuff because it's all connected. They just don't. And so you've been married for 20 years and you're having this argument and then now all of a sudden she brought something up that you did the first two months of dating. You remember when you looked at Sarah 
blah, blah, blah. And you're like, who is Sarah? Blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't know then. I don't want to tell you. And, then, and it's like, oh, no, what did I do? Man, here's a piece of advice in Proverbs 29, 11. Fools give full vent to the rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Fools give full vent to the rage, but the wise, the wise I almost said the wives, the wise bring calm in the end, okay? So take a deep breath. Treat your wife as the important wonderful, beautiful thing that she is and love her as yourself when it comes time for communication and conflict. Ladies, your turn. Love you. I'm not going to spend that long on you because I'm afraid, okay? But (laughs) here's the thing. There was a study done of 1,400 men. They determined that their greatest issue when it came to conflict and their greatest struggle with conflict and communication was that they felt their wives thrived off negativity, thrived off nagging, could never be satisfied, and that their natural state, just day-to-day, their natural state was being negative. 1,400 men, not me. These other 1,400 men. <laughs> Proverbs 21.9. Listen to this. Better to live on a corner of the roof, on a corner of the roof, than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Whoa. Proverbs 27, 15, and 16, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Restraining her, I don't want to even say this, is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. You know, in some countries, they use dripping water as torture. Drip, 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 drip. Ladies, are you always after your husband? Take a step back and just think about it. Let go of preconceived notions. Let go of the fact that you're probably even right. Are you always after your husband? Is there always something that they're not doing? When they do try, is it not good enough? Is it constant Nagtownville, USA, until they do whatever it is that you want them to do? I have to go back to the men for just a minute. We can't use your nagging me as an excuse to not hear their point. Okay, just want to be clear. We can't use, you're nagging me again to not view their point, to not listen. But wives, stop it. Okay, wives, stop that. If your constant state is your home, in your home is negativity and nagging, that's a huge issue. What needs to happen is a conversation about why you are there. But the nagging and the negativity itself doesn't need to happen. Why you found yourself in that place? Because husbands, we all married our wives because we loved them, right? And they were the apple of our eye and the greatest thing that we've ever come across. And that, that needs to carry through our marriage. But at times when we feel overwhelmed by the negativity and the nagging, it's not necessarily your wife's fault that she's got there. Maybe you haven't been listening well enough. Maybe you never would have gotten to that place if you had just opened up your ears. I say all of this to say this, okay? We both have faults and struggles. Good communication requires us to recognize these faults and guard against them. Men, don't be jerks. Women, stop with the nagging and the negativity, okay? This may not be everybody, but guard against those two things because just generally, those are our struggles, 
Now, there's two types of communication. This next thing I need to know, two types of communication. There's logical, when we're seeking information, and there's emotional, when we want affirmation, the meaning behind what is said. Okay, issues arise when we confuse the two things. When somebody is asking us a logical question and we respond emotionally, or when somebody is asking an emotional question and we respond logically. So a couple examples, okay? I come home, I say, Jerrica, do you want to go to dinner? Okay, logical piece of information. I'm hungry, I would like food. Do you want to go eat too? Her interpretation, he thinks I'm a bad cook. He doesn't think I can feed our family. He thinks I'm going to kill the children. Maybe I ought to kill him, right? Like, logical question, emotional answer. Doesn't do well. Fellas, fellas, we, we can't confuse the two, okay? I just want to be clear. We cannot confuse the two. She asked the question, does this dress make me look fat? It's an emotional question. She's wanting affirmation. No, honey, you look beautiful. That is always the answer. That is always the answer. One, because she looks beautiful and she's your wife. She's the apple of your eye. And remember, you don't have other options. That's our stance. It's our wife. We're in the garden. It was the horse. Okay? That was the two things. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look at last week's sermon. You can go online. Apparently, that's the best line I've ever said in my life because it's the only thing that's been requoted to me on a regular basis. Okay? But... That is always the answer. One, because it's the right answer. And two, because your wife is not asking for a legitimate, do you think I look fat? So we go, we grab the tape measure. And well, honey, I got to tell you, looks like you gained about 10 to 12 inches. You will die. And also, that's not the information that she wanted. She wanted to know that she is beautiful in your eyes, that you love her, and that you think she looks great. Give her that affirmation. We cannot confuse the two. Sometimes we ask logical questions, we need logical answers. Other times we ask emotional questions, we need uh, emotional answers, okay? Guy comes home and says, honey, you think I'm providing well enough for our family? Yeah, babe, I do. I think you're working really hard. And I, I think we're happy. I think we have everything we need. You're doing a great job. That's what he needs. Not, well, I don't know. Tim just took his wife to the Bahamas. And uh, they just bought a bigger house and apparently have no debt. So maybe he could be doing better. No, that's not what he wants, right? It's an emotional question. Give him an emotional affirmation answer. Okay, so now that we've talked about those baselines, I'm going to breeze through this as quick as I can. I'm sorry, I know I'm going longer than my time, but deal with it. Good communication serves a purpose. This is what you need to know. Good communication serves a purpose. How do we ensure that our communication serves our good? First, by having a right attitude, okay? Have a right attitude, in order for conflict to lead to resolution and growth, we have to trust that it is a good thing. We have to look at conflict like it is a good thing. We can't have that attitude of, well, here we go again, right? We've all been there. Here we go again. It's going to happen again. I can't wait for this to be done, right? That's not the attitude we have. That type of attitude gets us nowhere. But clearly we have an issue. We need to talk about this, resolve it, overcome it. That attitude is going to get us to a good place. James 1, 2 through 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, it's not here we go again, but it's, hey, how can we grow together? Conflict in our marriage should be looked upon with joy because it's getting us to a place, one, of perseverance, two, of joy, three, of hope, okay? Hope. 
when we are able to come together over a disagreement and move past that and come up with a solution that works for both of us, that spurns hope for our future. It does nothing but bring us together and put us in a good place, okay? That's why communication is so important. Secondly, we want to ensure that communication is a good tool for us. We have to sow seeds of correction when we talk, okay? Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, this is one of those times why the scripture isn't talking specifically about communication. The principle applies. You will reap what you sow out of life, okay? Out of life. And in your communications and in your conflict, if you are not reaping correction and solution, you're never going to receive it. It's going to be fighting. Ever feel like you're just fighting over the same thing over and over and over again and it never stops? It's because you're not sowing seeds of correction. Okay, we've talked about this. Now, how do we get past it? What is it that we need to do? What are some real steps that we can take to move forward and to get to a good place? Okay, we have to be able to sow seeds of correction. Do you want communication in your relationship to serve a good purpose, to be a strong tool, to unify you? Seek your spouse first. Seek your spouse first. See, unfortunately, time conflict occurs and people go outside of their marriage before approaching their spouse. Your husband said something stupid and you get on the horn with mama. Mama, guess what he just did? Mama doesn't need to know, okay? Sister doesn't need to know. Cousin doesn't need to know. Friends don't need to know. Pastor doesn't need to know. Coworker does not need to know. We don't need to share our business with everybody and anybody, okay? If you have a conflict between your husband or your wife, you go to them first and foremost, before anything, okay? Before anything. Because all that does is when you go to other people, it makes them be negative about your spouse. And then the next time you call them and everything's all good with your spouse, they bring it back up. And now you're feeling back in a negative place with your spouse, right? You'll never get past it if the first place you go is outside of your marriage. Go to your spouse when you have an issue. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister sins, Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you have won them over. It shows respect for your spouse and it builds trust with them. Okay? Last thing. Last thing. You want communication to be a good thing in your life. You want it to move you forward into the future with hope and all the other wonderful things that we have talked about. Then when you do seek counsel after you've talked to your spouse, seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel because that verse, Matthew 18, 15, goes on in 16 and 17. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's not very good in case you were wondering, okay? But here's the thing. You talked with your spouse. You're getting nowhere. You're at a dead end. Seek wise counsel. Somebody that you can trust, somebody that you can go with the issue, not somebody who's going to just automatically hit your spouse over the head with the hammer and tell you how awful they are and agree with you. You need somebody who can listen to your issue, okay, and tell the truth. Tell the truth. I hear what you're saying, but I, I think you're actually the wrong one in this stance. Or I understand what you're saying, but I think this is maybe how your wife feels or this is maybe how your husband's feeling. Somebody who's going to give you good advice and somebody who will be able to tell you when you're wrong, not a hype person, not somebody that's just there to make you feel good or agree with you, right? Someone who can be impartial because there is a chance, men and women hear me both, there is a chance you're not right. There is a chance you're not right. 
So communication conflict, okay? Have to have it. One, unite against the issue. Recognize your struggles with communication and work to overcome them. Okay, work to overcome them. Work to understand what your spouse is seeking in communication. Is it logical? Is it emotional? And ensure that your communication serves a purpose by doing the few things that we talked about. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up. We're going to do a couple worship songs, and then we've got a baptism service, which I got to tell you is the greatest part about being a pastor, if you ask me, because that means that somebody just met Jesus. And in our case, it's three little somebodies, which is amazing. And while I'm throwing stuff out there and I have the mic, I'll just throw a shout out to Chelsea. That is a direct correlation with the health of our children's department. She's leading them and guiding them in a great direction. And we've got three little people who are here to prove that very case because they found Jesus and they have accepted Jesus and today they are being baptized to tell all of you that that is the case in their lives. Okay? So, if I bummed you out today, if you're mad at me, if you thought my sermon was stupid, I got good news. I've got something really great coming up to be joyful and happy about. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I hope that this message had a positive effect on everybody that was here today, God, that we find uh, the importance of communication in our lives for not just ourselves, but for our spouse. Uh, and hopefully we can apply these principles to uh, other relationships that we have as well, because they, they do work there too. God, help us to be men who build up our wives, who love them as, as we love ourselves. Help our wives to, to find grace in times where they feel like, hey, I already had to tell them this a million times. Let us stop the blame game and get to a place where we can have a, a real conversation about the issue so that we can come up with a plan and, and attack the issue together and unite to, to overcome those issues that we face in our life so that we become stronger together. Because in the end, we know that our why behind being married is to be unified with our spouse and to love each other like Christ loved the church. God, I ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.